Today, we had the uh, pastor's luncheon. Um, if you didn't know, I work for Harvest Crusades, uh, which is an event that happens down in Anaheim Stadium, Angel Stadium. It's going to happen in August this year. I think the 14th, 15th, 16th is the dates. But um, we had a pastor's luncheon. Had about over 250, 300 pastors show up down there at the Diamond Club at Angel Stadium. And it was just awesome. It was exciting. It was powerful. Why? Because you get to see these are senior pastors from all different churches coming together excited about the gospel. Family. And I called them just that as I got to share a little word. It was great. Um, just big dogs from all over the place, senior pastors from everywhere coming together um, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I was just so blessed because I like the way uh, my pastor, Greg, he said, he said, he just said, you know what? This isn't about our event. This isn't about churches. This isn't about my congregation, your congregation, or making our churches bigger. It ain't about that. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about furthering it. And you know, more and more in my life, I'm discovering as I walk with God, that it's about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God. Huh? It's about the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It's so cliche is Josh. There's been, I think, four awakenings in my life. The first one, man, I recognized I needed Christ. All of a sudden, I just woke up when I was 17 years old after listening to a message like, man, I want to give my life completely to God. All of it. I give everything I have to God. Now, sure, I ran around doing all kinds of crazy stuff in the meantime, but I chose to give myself to God. Second, all of a sudden, I discovered grace. Grace, what's that? That's when all of a sudden the light bulb clicks on. You recognize that God's going to keep forgiving you no matter what you do for the rest of your life. Even though you run from him and cheat on him daily. And you recognize that he keeps forgiving you and you're very thankful for it. And you say, God, I will give you my entire life because you've loved me so much. That happened when I was, I think, around 20 years old or so. Then I went to the desert in Mexico. And... Um, I spent four months there, and my life was broken and changed completely. They're in an orphanage, having this guy by the name of John Corson just pour his life into 20 guys. And that's where I learned to spend time with God. I learned how to communicate and have an open conversation with God all day long. People thought it was crazy when I came back. Walking around, talking to God, praying with my eyes open, doing the weird stuff. But it was normal to me, man. I was just talking with my God. I spent a lot of quiet time, a lot of time alone, four or five hours a day. I would just go off and we'd spend quiet time with God by ourselves out in the desert, just walking around, talking to God, building a relationship. I really learned how to communicate and spend time with God, a a real personal relationship. I felt like I was born again, again. Um, And then the most recent thing that has happened, I say all of this to say this, just within probably the last six to eight months, I feel like my eyes have been open to recognize that it's about the kingdom of God. What do you mean, Josh? You've heard me say it week after week here at the study. This life is not about you. What do you mean? That sounds so negative and it kind of doesn't sound right. What do you mean it's not about me? This is what I've recognized. Let me just give you the illustration of my life and the mission that I have before me. I've recognized that I do not make money for me. I'm not making money so that I can buy more clothes. I'm not making money so I can have nicer stuff. So I can have all for me. This isn't for me. I make money so that I can use it to glorify God in whatever way he chooses. Huh? Yeah, everything that you have. 
that you'd use it to glorify God, even the clothes that you buy. Yeah, that's right. Hey, young kids, think that I dress stylish so that you'll look at me and follow me as I follow Christ. That you'll be attracted to the outward, but see the inward. Hey, buy a house so that you can raise a family, but not for you so you can taunt and boast to your friends about what a big house that you have. I hope that you'd have a house so that you can have Bible study in it. That you can raise a family that pleases God. Uh huh. I hope that you're getting a job and a career so that you can evangelize your workplace. I hope that you're going in there thinking, man, this is a brand new field for me to show Christ's glory and his light. I'm going to take crazy ground here in this place. That's what I think about all the time. It's like, man, if I, I work on the church now, but if I ever went back, it's like, oh, oh, I, I almost can't even wait. It's like to work in the secular world, man, to work in a coffee shop here, Gerardo, man. To work here at Vaughn's or whatever this is, Ralph's or what is it, Albertson's? <laughs> Strike three, <laughs> you're out. Man, so I could show the light of Christ there in that, in that place. Every single customer that comes by. Hey, all the employees there, my fellow workers, just loving on them, saying, hey, man, you need prayer? I want to pray for you. Showing Christ everywhere that I go. I hope that you're going to school, not for you. Well, I got to get a degree. Why? Well, I got to make money. I hope it's not for you. I hope the ultimate goal is for the kingdom of God. That you would go to school so that you can evangelize your classroom. Man, so you can be sharing Christ with people everywhere. So you can be talking to your professor and giving him a book to read. Giving him a couple messages to listen to. Man, talking to the people next to you, inviting them out to church. Man, making a stand for Christ. Praying for the people around you. That they would come to know Jesus. Not just taking a class for you. It's not what this life is about. If you live it for you, when you get to heaven, you're going to say, what was I doing? Life wasn't about me. It's about taking ground for the kingdom of God everywhere that I go. And that is the way that I'm viewing life from now on. Everywhere that I go, if I'm going into Subway, Father, is there someone that needs to know you in here? Someone that needs prayer? Everywhere that I go, keeping my ears open all the time, listening to the voice of God anywhere as I'm driving, is there somebody I need to call that minister to? You have to change your perspective and recognize that if you are a Christian, you are calling yourself a servant of the Most High God. You are calling yourself a slave to the kingdom of God. And that means that your life is not your own. Why? Because it was bought with a price. It's not yours. And so you don't make decisions anymore for yourself because of you. You always ask God, what do you want? When choosing a mate, when choosing a spouse, well, I want this kind of person because that's what I want. Huh? Wait a minute. It's not for you. Father, bring me someone that helped me glorify your kingdom the most. That is the goal. Bring me a tag team partner. It's going to be ready to shake the gates of hell. That's what we need. And that's the perspective you need to have for the rest of your life. When you have that kind of perspective and you lose your job, who cares? Because God's taken you to another place, huh? To evangelize and love on people. It's not about you. Yeah, but I don't have a job. Hey, it ain't about you. But I don't have money. What do you need money for? For me? Oh. I hope you're motivated. I need money for the kingdom so I can bless more people. You see, I've noticed it within my own life. When your perspective changes, it doesn't matter what happens. You get cancer. Praise God. 
Give me cancer, Father, so that I can glorify your kingdom in it. So people look into my, my life and see, man, uh, a man who has a cancer or disease. And man, everyone else who has cancer is all bummed out and down, but for some reason doesn't even care. Doesn't even face him, just living for the kingdom, still loving on people, still praying for people. Being a light in this dying world. Hey, it rains on everybody. And when you're living for the kingdom, when problems come into your life, you say, yes. Another Red Sea for God to part in my life and show his glory and show how awesome and powerful he is. But if it's about you, when a problem comes, you say what? Oh, poor me. Bummer. Depression, depression. I can't believe this happened in my life. And God, why this? And God, why that? It's for his kingdom. When you're constantly looking and turning your eyes towards his kingdom, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. When you seek first the kingdom, hey, money, no big deal. Stuff, who cares? Relationships, it's okay. When you seek first the kingdom, everything you need will be added unto you, and you will be okay. When you don't seek the kingdom, and you seek your kingdom, you'll be bummed. Day in and day out. That's why you see a bunch of bum Christians walking around the church. Ticks me off. I choose not to be bummed. A soul, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Choose to walk with God. Choose to bless His kingdom. Amen? Hey, when you have that perspective, great things are going to happen in your life. If you want to, you, if you want to, you can. Go to school. Get your degree. Get your job, make your money, find your spouse, have your family, have your house, have your boat, have your car, have grandkids, and then die. And live it all for you. And when you get to heaven, you will have nothing. Or, and I see many men who have done that. And at the end of their life, they're like, man, what have I done? What, what do I have? I have nothing in the kingdom. But when you live it the opposite way, if you choose to gain your life, you must what? Lose it. Lose it. Uh-huh. Those who try to gain will lose their life. If you seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added unto you. All this stuff. All this stuff I talk about, house, family, whatever, all that stuff. You'll have it. It's no big deal. If you run from the kingdom, you'll have it, but you won't have life. So seek first his kingdom. All the days of your life, die seeking his kingdom, please. I beg and please you. To the day that you die, the day you close those eyes, seeking the kingdom of God. Isn't that awesome? That'd be a great testimony. Man, I can't wait. I can't wait to have a te- I just, I really want that. I'm 26 and I can't wait when I'm like 74 in eight months. In 20 days, I'm just sitting there. Hi. And I'm sitting there, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Old man trying to get around, loving on people, baking cookies. Yeah, man, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be this old man that just walks around just at the gas station. Want some cookies? Go ahead. There you go. In the name of Jesus, take them. You're a crazy old man. I know. 
Crazy for the kingdom. King, you are crazy. Yeah. That's what I want. That's how I want to die. For the kingdom of God. And so family, Father, as I pray for this family, I just ask, Lord, that you would instill that in our hearts and that we'd be living for you with all of our lives, every single square inch of our lives for you. Lord, we need a transformation in our minds. We need a transformation to take place, God, because this world has taught us that it's all about us. It's all about making that money. It's all about having that nice car and nice clothes and, and all about me, 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 my, my, my. It's all about me. And I pray, God, that you would just unprogram, Lord, just take away everything that we have programmed ourselves to. Rip it all out of our lives that we may submit ourselves to you wholeheartedly and program us to live for your kingdom day and night. That's what we're called to. So we wouldn't get caught up in anything, distracted by anything, except for your kingdom. We're going to take ground for you, King. We're going to take this city. One person at a time, we're going to take this city. And I pray that you would empower this group here to do a mighty work in their workplace, in their families, in their friends, everywhere they look, looking to take ground for your kingdom. Teach us, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Welp, I get to listen with you tonight. I get to take in the word tonight, which I'm so stoked about. And I have my brother, Steve Force, going to come and bring the word. So let's welcome Steve Force. Come on, as he comes up. Come on. Yes. Steve is going to come and just minister to us. Put on your thinking caps. Get ready for some information. Get ready for great application. I'm telling you, as we jump into Isaiah, this will be our last week in the book of Isaiah, believe it or not. Yeah. Been teaching from Genesis. And we're in Isaiah. And we will be in Jeremiah next week. So get ready. You guys ready for this? Father, I just pray that you'd speak through Steve and that we would have hearts and ears to hear. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's welcome Steve Force again. Come on. Tonight, we're going to be uh, reading Isaiah chapter 60. So if you guys aren't there already, go ahead and and, uh, turn there. Um, Now, last week, you guys were reading about the suffering servant. Um, You guys were studying that. And so, you know, that's an amazing chapter. I can't top that. That chapter is probably one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. So I got chapter 60. It's not anywhere close to as awesome. It's still pretty cool, but um, I don't got that for you guys tonight. I'm sorry. But I do have chapter 60. Um, And chapter 60 is kind of a a fulfillment of a promise that God makes. Uh, You guys were reading yesterday chapter 59 of Isaiah. Um, in chapter, all right, so first we saw that, that uh, sin separated the people from God. God's basically got, got a big indictment. You remember Isaiah chapter 1, he was basically saying that I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you guys. We got married out in, out in the desert. We were out there by Mount Sinai, and we had a promise. We had a relationship. God says that we got married, and you guys, you guys were there, and I called earth, I called the, the, the sun and the earth and, and all of creation in, as, a, as a witness to that event. And now he's saying, I'm calling, I'm calling all of creation as a witness to say that you guys have broken that relationship. 
God says, this isn't good. Because the problem for you guys is that not only was, was this relationship adultery, but it was also a criminal trespass. And God's saying, and you know what? I'm the judge and I'm the prosecutor and things are not looking good for you guys. But he also gives hope. He says, if you guys will turn, he says, come, let us reason. If you turn, then I will make your red sins as white as snow, as white as wool. And so we, we've basically been reading Isaiah talking about, you know, exactly how the people went wrong, the steps to, to really just kind of losing a relationship with God. Um, and so in chapter 59, uh, we see that the people finally do confess, starting in verse 9. They say, uh, you know, we have sinned. It's true. We, we haven't done righteously. And God says, you know what? I, it's true. I, I've seen this. In verse 15, he says, the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. And so we see that God's going to take some action. God's going to come in and he's going to act as the intercessor. He's going to act as a man. He's going to get dressed up and come to this earth. And the people didn't understand what was going on. They read this and they were like, oh, it's kind of a cool verse. I don't know what it means, but, you know, so God's going to do something. And so they wait and they wait and they get judged. They go into exile and they wait, and they're waiting. You know, they, get, they come back, and they still act disobediently, and they wait. 400 years of silence, and then Jesus shows up on the scene. And we see the amazing work that he's done. And so in verse 21 of chapter 59, we read, As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, those who follow after him. My spirit who is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, 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 says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. That's us, guys. We've been entrusted with the gospel message. It's our job to preach it forever. Until Christ returns, that is our job. That's where God left us. Um, and so now we, we kind of start in, in chapter 60. And chapter 60 kind of begins the, the end of Isaiah. He's talking about the future fulfillment of the second coming. And so we see sort of vignettes in this chapter, um, starting in, in verse 1, and I'm just going to read the first three verses real quick. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads, guys, and just pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, we thank you, Lord, for sending your Son Jesus Christ as a light to this world, to uh, for just filling us with your Holy Spirit, teaching us how to be that light in in this world. And Lord, we thank you that we've been we've given been given some small participation in in, in just sharing the gospel message in this world that needs light. As the world gets darker and darker, Lord, we we just need more Christians to just rise up and, and just share that gospel message with full boldness. And so, Lord, we just pray that, that you would just fill us with your spirit. And even now, as, as we hear this message, Lord, that you would just convict us and that we would just serve you anew, refreshed and with full boldness and authority. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Well, if it's not pretty obvious, I'm, I'm kind of nervous. I don't really go in front of a whole lot of people and speak too often. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting because there are a lot of things in our life that kind of make us nervous. I have this recurring dream. How many people here go to college? How many people go to college? All right, I have this dream. Like, I'm sitting in a class, right? And the teacher's talking in next week's finals, and I'm like, man, there's a major project due. And I didn't even start yet. I didn't even know it was assigned. And then I'm, so, and then I'm, all, I'm all of a sudden thinking, 
oh, man, I, I'm going to fail this class. I don't even remember signing up for this. I could swear I graduated. And, and then all of a sudden I wake up. I, it was a dream. And I'm just, I'm totally nervous, right? I'm totally freaking out because I know that there was a day that was supposed to come and I wasn't doing it. Now, I've actually lived out this dream, all right? I was in class one day, and I sat down, and I see this guy at the front of the class, and I assume he's a T. I show up to a final, right? This guy at T. I take my seat. He's talking about the instructions, how the, how the final's going to go. And then he says, you know, no cheating. Use your pencils. And it's a math class. And so he's passing out the final. And when I get the final, I look at it. And I'm like, this isn't this class. I took this class already. This is not the right final. I am in the wrong room right now. So I'm, I, I get up very quietly. And, like, the, the professor's like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm in the wrong room, dude. I, I don't know why I'm here. I walk out, dude. My heart is pounding so hard. I'm, I run to the library to figure out what went wrong. Wrong day. Right class. Wrong day. So it was the next day. So I was good. I didn't miss my final. But, man, I was freaking out. <laughs> and that's kind of the way, that's the kind of the way this, this chapter starts. This chapter begins a description of the day of the Lord. God's talking about the day of the Lord. And we read about this over and over throughout Isaiah, throughout Jeremiah, throughout the Bible. Jesus talks about this. This is a pretty major topic, the day of the Lord. Are you going to be prepared for the day of the Lord? And so part of this chapter is talking about how we prepare and what the day of the Lord is going to look like. Now, many chapters in the Bible talk about the judgment of the day of the Lord, but this one is about the light of the day of the Lord. And so that's the title of the message I have tonight. It's called The Light of the Day of the Lord. If you guys take notes. I don't know if you do. All right. So at the beginning, we see uh, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So here we see Isaiah talking in the prophetic tense. What is that? The prophetic tense means that Isaiah is talking about a future event and looking back at it as though it had already happened. That is the prophetic tense. He's talking clearly about the millennial kingdom. And right now he's talking to the city of Jerusalem. He's personifying Jerusalem as the city which contains all the believers. It's the place from which Jesus will reign for the thousand-year reign. Uh, you read about that in, uh, in Revelation chapter 20 through about 22, talking about the millennial reign and, and just how things are going to go down in those, in those last days. And so what we see here is that he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And so we see then that one of the things that believers have is this ability to shine. Where does this come from? Well, we saw Moses go up to Mount Sinai. Remember that? He goes up to the Mount Sinai, receives a law, has an encounter with God, and when he comes down, he's glowing. It's amazing. Um, we see at the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus just starts to glow, like bright, white, glowing. It's insane. Why is he glowing? Because he's God. And God, in and of himself, is light. We read about that in, in uh, John chapter 1 and in John's epistles. Um, and interestingly, we actually read about it in Genesis because we see that God says, let there be light, but the sun doesn't get created till a little while later. Light first, then the sun. Interesting. So we see that God is light. And we read in, in the scripture that in him there is no shadow of turning. God is light. And yet, we have light. How do we have light? It says right there, because the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Now, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reading from various places in, in the scripture. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read from uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, so if you want to, you can. Um, and this is, a, this is a discussion of Jesus talking about light and our participation in that. And uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So he says this. This is important. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
This is your task. You guys have received through the Holy Spirit the light of God. You are the light in this dark world. There is no other light until Jesus comes. This world is dark. This world is wicked, and it's getting darker as time passes. And you are the only thing that stops between them and eternal torment. It's something that you guys really need to feel deep down inside, that there is a light within you. And if you're not feeling it, it probably means that you've covered your light. You know, maybe the the lamp is is kind of dusty and you need to wipe it off, you know. Pray to God that he would let your light shine for his glory. All right. Um, Now, an interesting thing is that, you know, we get our lights from light bulbs, right? I mean, we, we plug the light bulb in. And yet the light itself does not really get made by the light bulb. We put electricity through wires and it comes into the light bulb. And the electricity is what lights up the light bulb. So you guys don't light yourselves up. You receive that from God. It's something that's pretty basic in the Christian faith. You guys should understand that. But here's an interesting thing, and I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this. What happens when the light bulb doesn't shine anymore? Have you ever done that? You walk into a room, you flip the light switch, it's on for like a second, and bam, it's just gone. What do you do with that light bulb? You unscrew it, you smash it, and you throw it away. That could be you. Just saying. I hope you feel some conviction. (laughs) So guys, get your light in order. Figure out whatever's keeping you guys from shining, and then just shine for God. All right, moving on. I spent a little time on that. He says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. In verse 2. So we see that even today. We see darkness coming. The Lord says that he's bringing light as a response to the increasing darkness. And this is really the story that you read in Revelation. The more time passes, not the more light that we see. That Yeah, there are more Christians, but even as time passes, there are more and more people who mock God, more people who pervert themselves to darkness. They love darkness, John says, because they're wicked. And so as a response to the darkness in the world, God gives light. And so we see that even happening in our modern day. So you really should be feeling this, guys. Things aren't going to get better as time passes. If you can't stand for Jesus now, what makes you think you're going to stand for Jesus when things get harder, when things get worse? What makes you think that as darkness starts to creep in more and more, that you guys are going to bright any more, you guys are going to shine any more brightly? It's not going to happen. You guys need to learn how to do it now while things are still relatively easy because when things get hard later, you're not going to be able to stand. Now, verse 3, we see the purpose of this. It says, The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Raise your hand if you are not Jewish in any way whatsoever. Raise your hand. If you're not Jewish, raise your hand. That's pretty much all of you. All of you, right? If you're not Jewish, thank God for verse 3. Because without verse 3, there would be no light for you. God made a promise throughout Isaiah, and this is an amazing thing that that never really clicked with the Jews, and that is the Gentiles get in. That's an amazing thought. The Gentiles get in. And it's something that we're going to see more and more as we read this chapter. But this was revolutionary. And you guys might just read it and just kind of stop there and, and think nothing of it, but this is absolutely amazing. Thank God every single day that God made the Jews his firstborn, but then he also allowed you guys to be grafted in. All right, continuing on, uh, we're going to, sorry, verses 4 through 9. Here we begin a new vision for Isaiah. 
Uh, and we're going to just read verses 4 through 9. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Cater shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Nabaioth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of, of my glory. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roosts? Surely the coastlands shall wait for me, and the ships from Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. Amazing. What does it mean? All right. So let's break this down a bit, right? First of all, we see that Isaiah is getting a vision here, right? He was talking about something. He was talking to the city of Jerusalem. And he's just saying, hey, wake up, guys. Things are going to get bad, but there's a way out. And now he says, look, look. Now that things are bright, look around you and see what's going to happen. He's talking prophetically about the things that are going to happen in the future. Remember, he's talking to the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem here personifies all believers, um, it's something that you'll get into a lot more depth when you hit Isaiah 66 at, uh, next Monday. But here we see, it says, lift up your eyes all around and see, look. You know, Jesus, he was taking his disciples and he tells them to lift up their eyes because there's a big harvest and yet there's no workers. Look and see, guys. There's a big harvest. I was walking around UCR today because I'm starting up classes again. Uh, today was my first day of school in like three years, which is just really awkward. And I had a completely different perspective of the way I look at school. Before, I used to just look around and see people, and like I saw them as kind of being you know, co-students, and I really didn't have anything to do with them. You know, Even in my own major, I didn't really hang with people. I wasn't really interested. And now, I show up to school, and all I see is a mission field. I'm just like, how can I share the gospel with these people? They're lost. And at some point, you guys need to have that transformation of the way that you think. That when you encounter that bum at the gas station and you're just like, man, I hope that guy doesn't try to talk to me or I hope he doesn't touch me because I might have to, you know, knock him out or something. No, that's not what you should be thinking. You're like, man, I'm going to share with him a Bible track. I'm going to give him a Bible. And if he knocks me out, well, to God be the glory. That's your attitude. Take one for the team, guys. (laughs) And so he says, look and see. And he says, they all gather together. They come to you. Who? Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Now, a lot of people believe that this is talking about the diaspora, right? All the Jews that went out uh, during the exile, that they're going to come back. But Jerusalem is home not just to the Jews, because we know that not all those who descend from Abraham are Jews. But those who believe, like Abraham believed, by faith, those are the ones who are the true Jews, Now, I'm not saying that the church replaces Israel. That's not what I'm saying by any stretch of the imagination. But what I am saying is that what he's talking about are the true believers, and they're coming from everywhere. And so he starts giving the description of who these sons and daughters are. But first he says they're coming from afar. That means everywhere. And it says your daughters shall be nursed at your side, talking about an intimacy with who these people are going to be. They're going to be accepted back into Jerusalem like like young children. God's going to love on them just like a baby. And and he says to Jerusalem, Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Both talking about those new believers who are in Christ because of the gospel, but also literally people who are going to be coming in and giving offerings. Verse 6, we see, The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and and Ephah. Midian and Ephah, who are they? 
Those are sons of Abraham, right? Everyone thinks about Abraham having two sons, right? Isaac and Ishmael. Actually, he had more sons. He had five sons by a woman, a concubine named Keturah, of which one of those was Midian. And we don't read a whole lot about Midian because Midian got wiped out kind of early. Uh, there were, they were basically coming in on camels, and they were just raiding the Israelite cities during the time of the judges. And so this guy named Gideon goes over there and basically wipes them out. You guys know that story, right? Gideon's 300. Harvest talks about it a lot. You know? And that's really, that's really the last time we hear a whole lot about Midian. But the wealth of Midian were their camels. And so here we see that they're bringing their camels. Um, and the word in mind that says dromedaries should better be translated the young camels, those that are fit for burden, right? Young camels, he camels, the ones that you put stuff on. So basically, these things are loaded. What they're loaded with, we don't know. But they're coming in with some gifts. Um, then we see again, all those from Sheba shall come in verse 6. And they will bring gold and incense. The word here for incense, uh, in mine, it says incense, but some of yours might say frankincense because that's what the actual word is. Um, gold and frankincense. What is missing here? Myrrh, right? The gifts to Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But myrrh is not being offered. Why not? Because Jesus was resurrected. His death has passed. His resurrection came, and now he sits on the throne in Jerusalem. And so there's no need for myrrh, just frankincense, which represents prayer, and gold, which represents uh, his, his uh, royal claim. And it says that they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Next we see in verse 7, the flocks of Cater shall be gathered to you. Uh, the flocks of Cater were basically a tribe of, of Arabs. Same thing with the rams of Nabaioth. These guys were basically nomadic. Uh, they, these were basically nomads in Arabia. And they just raised goats and rams. That's what they did. Uh, we read about it in the Song of Solomon that they had a special breed of black goat. And they used to make tents out of that. And so they were known for having black tents. Uh, the word Kedar means darkness. And so these were the people of darkness. And they're coming in. And even there, offering up a sacrifice to the Lord, it says, They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar. And I will glorify the house of my glory. So God's saying, look, whatever these people have, I'm going to accept. If they're bringing me golden incense, I'll take it. If they're bringing me camels, I'll take that too. If they're bringing me rams and, and goats, I'll take that as well. God's saying that whatever people have, I'll take. So here's an interesting question for you guys. What do you guys have? There's something you guys do, something you guys make, something you guys have been equipped by the Holy Spirit to do, gifts from God that you've been given and you know you have them. Let's not, let's, not get in the, let, let's not let false humility get in the way. You guys know that there's something that you guys are able to do that not a whole lot of other people can do. Whatever that is, do it for the kingdom of heaven. That's the picture that we have here. All the nations are coming to bring gifts to God, and they're bringing their best. Whatever they can do, whatever they're good at, whatever they have, they're just giving it all to God. Do you live your life that way? Are you giving everything you have to God? What is it that you can do? Or maybe, what is it that, that, how much money are you making? I don't know. Whatever you're equipped by God to do, take care of it. Do it for God. Don't make any more excuses. Don't say, I got to pay these bills, or I got to go take care of that first. You know, I got to finish off paying my student loans, and then I'm going to go off and do this thing. Or I got to start a family first, and then I can take care of God. No. Live for Jesus today. Start now. Figure out what it is you can do. Start doing it for the kingdom of heaven. Moving on, guys. It says, who are, the, who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roosts? Surely the coastlands shall wait for me, and the ships from Tarshish will come to bring the suns from afar. Again, more suns are coming in. There's silver and their gold with them to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. Again, still talking about the city of Jerusalem. In verse 10, it says, The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister 
to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I had mercy on you. And so this is, this is God's promise. First of all, God is saying that you guys were disobedient, and I gave you guys a spanking. And it, was, it wasn't one of those, like, you know, pat on the bottom and go to your room kind of things. I mean, this is a major spanking. They got kicked out of the city. They got kicked out of the promised land and sent away into Babylon. This is what Isaiah has been prophesying all along. And the Jews have suffered more than any other people in the history of the world. I mean, all I have to do is give you guys one word, holocaust, and you guys know. They've had a lot of suffering. And yet God has hope for them. He hasn't forgotten his people. And this is really an important thing to remember because you guys think, well, these are the Jews and, you know, God's not going to forget them, of course. But remember that you've been grafted in and there are going to be times in your life where you're disobedient and you get spanked too because all God's children get spanked. And you've got to remember that as bad as things get, God will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you, ever. And so hold on to that promise because as time passes, things will get tough. You guys are young yet, but imagine when you guys get old and you don't have the energy that you have today and you're still trying to live that life for God and the world's just getting darker and darker. It's going to be hard. But hold on to this promise. He says, The name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified you. And indeed he has. He's given you his Holy Spirit. And so he will have mercy on his children. And look what it says. It says that the foreigners shall build your walls and the and their kings shall minister to you. God's going to repay Israel for all the things that the Gentile nations took away from them. God didn't allow his children to get robbed. Do you remember when the Israelites were in, in Egypt, and they were slaves for 400 years? And yet when they left, they plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians just gave them stuff and said, get out of here. You know, if money is what you need, here, take it, go, and, and leave, and don't come back. But was that really, were they plundering, or were they just getting back wages? And so here we see again that God's going to restore all that was taken away. They're getting their silver. They're getting their gold back. I mean, it's, it's just a, a really sad thought to think that when they, they sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD, that they took the menorah and they melted it down. The seven, lamp, the seven lampstand in the holy temple, they just took it like it was just any piece of jewelry and they just melted it down. And who knows where it is today? Probably in a bunch of Roman coins sitting in a museum somewhere. And so God's going to restore everything. He's restoring his people. And he says that the foreigners will build your walls. Even to this day, you see that God still protects Israel. The United States sends so much aid, so much money down their way. And it's just part of God's blessing. He says, I'm going to take care of you. I mean, just look at, look at the size of Israel on the map. Do you realize that the nation of Israel is the size of Riverside County? It's real small. You can drive from one side to the other side in a couple hours. You just take a freeway. It's not that big. And yet, look at all their neighbors. You know, in this world, there's something about 30 million Jews and something like 600 million Arabs, and they want to destroy the Jews. Only 13 million of them actually live in Israel. There are as many Jews living in the United States as there are living in Israel this day. I think in the last couple years, Israel finally edged out the United States. But there's still more Jews living outside of Israel than live inside of Israel. And God's saying, no, these sons will come back. And when they do come back, their cities will be rebuilt, their land will be restored, their temple will be restored, everything will be rebuilt. He says, therefore your gates shall be open continually. In verse 11. They shall be shut, they shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring you the wealth of the Gentiles and the kings in procession. You know, I don't really like watching the Olympics. Uh, 
you know, there's a couple events that I like. You know, some of them are kind of interesting. But for the most part, I'm not really into it. I mean, you know, archery or chess or whatever. I mean, like Olympic chess, that's so bizarre, you know. I don't understand that one, you know. I could see archery. I mean, you know, like shooting like, you know, a pee on somebody's forehead or something. That's kind of impressive. But, but you know, like the, the chess thing, it's just... But one of the cool things that I really like about the Olympics is when they bring in all the nations, you know, that opening ceremony part, and they start bringing in all the nations and their flags and all the Olympic teams, and even the little countries bring in their little delegation. It's like five guys, and they're just like, we're just really happy to be here. We're not going to win anything, you know? <laughs> and uh, and that's, really the way, that's really the way that we're seeing here. It's going to be a continuous procession into Jerusalem, day and night. The gates will never be closed because people are going to be bringing in their offering continuously, always. You know, it's going to be like the Olympics of worship. I mean, people are going to come in, and I bet they're going to try to outdo each other, you know? Like, they'll, they'll be like, oh, man, Lebanon brought all that wood, but look at all this gold we brought. And it's like, you think gold's impressive? Look at this frankincense. We're going to burn all this stuff. It's going to be a big old puff of smoke. It'll be something the world has never seen. And, you know, I don't know what the nations are going to bring, but it's going to be continuous. And just to see it would be amazing. And I could see why sons and daughters would be coming from around the world just to see, just to visit this holy place and, and just see the work that God is doing. But look at verse 12. This is where we have a slight departure of, of all the cool stuff we've seen so far. It says, For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. I think this verse is why I can pretty confidently say that what we're talking about here is the millennial reign and not the new heaven and the new earth. Because there are people who are doing this because they have to. We read in Revelation that uh, Jesus is going to rule with an iron rod. There's not going to be any disobedience while Jesus is here. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. And we read in Isaiah 66 that if a person dies at 120, they'll be like, oh, man, poor guy, he died young. So things are going to be different. But at the same time, not so different because people are still going to have disobedient hearts, kind of like the Garden of Eden, but you know, still that inner inclination to, to want to sin, to want to rebel. And yet God isn't allowing them yet. We see later on at the end of the millennial reign that God is going to lose Satan and we're going to get that last showdown. Satan's going to be completely destroyed and all the people who follow after him, the, the ones that even in the presence of Jesus who saw these offerings and saw the glory of God seated in, in the, on the throne in Jerusalem, those guys who still wanted to rebel, God's going to let them and they're going to deal with the consequences of their actions. But we see then that, um, that there's still people that are going to not want to serve God and they're going to be completely destroyed. Now, verse 13, we see the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together, to, the beauty, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. A couple things that we see here. First of all, Lebanon's in on the deal. These guys are not related to Abraham in any way whatsoever. Remember, we were talking about Midian. We were talking about um, Ephah. We were talking about Cater, Nabaioth. All these guys are descended from Abraham, some way or another. Uh, uh, Nabaioth and Cater were sons of Ishmael, which is interesting because when you read those verses, you realize that what's going on here is a big family reunion uh, in, in the millennial reign. All the, all the family of Abraham is going to be reunited. Arabs and Jews are going to finally be at peace. But now we read that Lebanon is coming into the picture, and they're bringing their, what they have, which I talked about earlier, which was their, their lumber, cypress, pine, box tree. And these are basically the elements that were used at building the first temple. You remember that... Uh, that um, that Solomon contracted out with uh, the king of Tyre to, to bring in all this wood. And then later on, he wanted to pay him off. And he's like, uh, you can have some of these Galilean cities, you know, see a Galilee. And, and he's like, well, this stuff's worthless. Like, it's just mountain. I don't need it. And then we look later on that 
this land that was given over to the Gentiles was the location of some of the most amazing ministry that's ever been seen. The ministry of Jesus Christ was almost entirely centered around the Galilee region. Um, but so God's restoring it, not to the second temple uh, situation, because we remember in the second temple that all the glory of the se- second temple was done for Herod's glory, right? They call it Herod's temple. We don't know what it actually looked like when they rebuilt it, but we know that he did some major renovation. And to this day, if you look at a lot of the artwork that the, that the Jews have, especially in Israel, if you go around there and you just look at some of their artwork, man, they glorify the second temple. I mean, they have it in paintings, they have it in, in little statues, and people just love love this little image of this little box with big doors and columns and stuff. And, and that's, what, that's what they want to go back to. They want to go back to the sec- second temple period. And yet God's restoring them to the first temple period. And it's an interesting thing he says at the, verse, at the end of verse 13. He says, I will make the place of my feet glorious. What does this mean? What he's talking about here is that, um, see, a, lo- a lot of people think that we're going to spend our eternity in heaven. And that's not quite right. Some of us will get to visit heaven, and to the extent of which we will experience heaven, I don't really know. We do know that during the millennial reign, Jesus will come on earth. We do know that after that period, God will basically waste it all away, the heavens and the earth, and he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And God is going to establish his kingdom on earth as a perfect place, and that's where the believers will go. We will dwell on the new earth, not in the new heaven. I don't know, uh, I don't really know how that's going to turn out, uh, I mean, there's definitely a connection between this temple and, and, uh, and heaven. Because it's an interesting thing that God says. He says that heaven is his throne and the earth, the whole earth, is his footstool. And so we see at the end of verse 13, I will make the place of my feet glorious. This is where God's going to plant his feet. He's going to sit from heaven because that's where his throne is. But his feet, he's going to rest on the earth. And what that really means in a literal sense no clue. Search me. I don't know. Um, but it's an interesting thought. And then in verse 14, we see also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you. And all those who despise you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. It's interesting that you'll meet a lot of people that say that, they're, that Jesus isn't the only way to God. There are many ways to God. And I agree with them. There are many ways to God. And yet the Bible tells us that not all those ways to God are going to be good. For some people, that that way to God is going to be the right way. It's going to be the way through Christ. And we will become co-heirs with Christ ruling in, in his kingdom to come. And yet for others, they're going to bow the knee regardless. At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There's no doubt about that. Some will do it willingly and some will do it because they're forced to. And some people will will confess that Jesus is Lord, and they will say it with great joy, and others will say it with great anguish. Jesus was Lord. Why didn't, I, why didn't I live my life for him? Remember, guys, it's your job to share the gospel message. The kingdom of heaven has already begun. The church is really the last warning that people are going to get. After this, it's just going to be fire and judgment. We read about it in Revelation. And if you guys... Uh, if you guys go to Harvest and, and uh, you haven't been going to the Wednesday study with Jeff Lassane, make it a point to go because he's going to be hitting Revelation chapter 20 um, and just covering the end of that. And he goes into that. He's going to go into that with great detail, talking about the millennial kingdom starting next week and, and really the new heaven and new earth in the weeks to come after that. So if you want to get more details about it and get a certain chronology about it, um, you know, go over there and, and check that out. 
Um, in verse 15, he says, Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and milk the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Now, I checked the Hebrew on uh, verse 16, and it does, in fact, say, milk the breast of kings. Uh, so this is definitely poetic language here, guys. We're not going to put kings into stalls and milk them and drink. That's not what he's talking about here. <laughs> All right? I double-check, guys, because sometimes you read a translation, and you're just like, does it really say that? <laughs> yes, it really says that. <laughs> it's going to happen, but uh, not literally. <laughs> what it means is that the, gen- that the Gentile kings are going to be providing for Israel, right? All these years, Israel has basically had no home. All these years, no one to love them. And everywhere they went, they've been scourged, they've been kicked out, treated wrong. And now things are going to be fixed for them. And the Jews aren't going to have to worry about anything. God's going to take care of them. And he's just going to send the Gentile believers, and they're going to go there and bless Israel. Um, and if you want to bless Israel right now, go spend some money. Go visit uh, Israel. Church is taking a tour in 2010. Save up some cash and just spend it because money is a blessing. <laughs> It'll help them out, especially because uh, they've, pe- they've been based on the dollar for so long, and it's not quite worth what it used to be. So uh, save double. All right. But the important thing here at the end of verse 16 is this. He says, You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Basically, God's saying here that this is the proof that I never left you guys. You know, people people say, you know, that the church has replaced Israel. Some people will say that God doesn't care about Israel. And Paul makes it explicitly clear that we're just grafted in. We're just along for the ride because God loved us too. The Jews were the firstborn and we came later. But salvation came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So it happened afterwards. So don't think more of yourself than you should. I remember we had um, this guy from Chosen People Ministry come out, to, uh, come out to the living room study one time, and he just gave his testimony about how he became, uh, how he uh, really converted from a, from a Jew to a uh, Messianic Jew, which is you know, a Jew who believes in Jesus as Messiah. Um, and you know, he was just talking about the difficulties that the Jews have experienced over the centuries. And you know, he was talking to a mostly Gentile audience, and one point that he made that really stuck with me was, if it happened to us, it can happen to you. So don't, don't mess around. Um, don't think that, oh, uh, you know, Jesus is, I say Jesus is Lord, I'm fine, I can live the way I want. That's not the way it works out. The Jews thought, hey, we're children of Abraham. We, we get in. You know, we get a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's like, uh, I've actually met a Jewish guy who said, of course I'm going to heaven. I'm Jewish. I mean, the other, you know, the Gentiles, they're going to have to work at it. And, you know, if they do better than 50% on the final exam, maybe they get in. I don't really know, but we get in for sure. And uh, that's not how it works. Verse 17, instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. And instead of stones, iron. And I will make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. So we see two things here. First of all, God's going to make everything better than it was before. Wherever you see bronze before, it's going to be gold now. Wherever it was iron before, it's going to be silver. He's one-upping it twice, you see. Uh, you see that bronze is two levels before under gold, right? So uh, bronze turns into gold, iron turns into silver, and then wood gets turned into bronze. So everything gets an upgrade twice. So that's a pretty nice upgrade. Instead of stones, iron, and I will make your officers peace. This is the amazing thing, though, right? I mean, God's going to, to bring gold. Yeah, that's, that's great. Silver is fine. Bronze is nice. But that's just stuff. 
I mean, it's pretty stuff. And uh, if you guys want to bless me with some gold and silver, uh, you know, I'm not going to stop you guys. Uh, you know, you can just bring your offering, put it over here. And uh, I need some car repairs. <laughs> Buy me a new TV. But, uh, but that's not the miraculous thing here. The miraculous thing here is at the end of verse 17, he says, I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Man, that's the thing that Israel suffered from, right? We read over and over again the indictment that the leaders had failed, that, that uh, as a result of that, there was constant warfare, constant suffering with the Jews right before and really during and after the Babylonian captivity. The city of Jerusalem could get no peace. And it's bizarre because the city's name means city of peace. And yet, it's, does Jerusalem have peace to this day? No, it's cut into four pieces. And if you ever walk into Jerusalem, man, you're going to feel some spiritual tension like you've never felt in your life. I mean, you just walk down there and it's, you see some crazy stuff. I mean, I saw, I mean, I, I was talking to this Arabic guy one time. And we were just sitting there and he owned an antiquity store. And we're just, we're just talking, you know, having fun and talking about all the stuff he's got in there. And then he starts talking about politics, right? And I'm just sitting there listening, and he's just, like, blasting the Jews, you know. And he's like, yeah, and the Jews have, have brainwashed the Americans, and that's why things are going on. And he's just had, like, the most twisted story of, 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 like, you know, world history that I've ever seen. I didn't, like, I was just like, I don't think it quite works that way. And he's like, no, it does. And he just went on. I'm like, all right, I guess he doesn't want to hear the truth. But they're blinded. And then, you know, I saw this guy, the rabbi, maybe he wasn't a rabbi, probably just an Orthodox Jew, just walking down, and he saw, like, this cross, you know, somebody had written a cross, spits at it. That city has tension, you know. You've got to watch your pockets, too. I mean, it's crazy down there. Thieves, riots breaking out, and that's just in churches, you know. <laughs> you laugh, but I saw the video. <laughs> and so the city has no peace. If you guys don't mind, turn to Psalm 122. This is what God has to say about your participation in all of this stuff. Psalm 122, I'm going to read the whole thing, but lucky for you guys, it's only nine verses. It said, I was glad when they said to me, oh, I should probably give you guys a little more time. I had little markers in my pocket, I'm cheating. All right, uh, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. This is a song of ascent. They're going up to Jerusalem, and yet before they even get there, they say, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Man, they see themselves in Jerusalem. They're going up to that holy city. It says Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. And man, that's true. If you go down there, you don't have enough room to breathe going down those, those corridors. It says where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For the thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Talking about Jesus reigning on that throne. And this is what the Lord says. This, is, this isn't like a suggestion. This is a commandment, all right? And he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Guys, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible tells you to do it. So do it. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And he doesn't just leave you hanging there. All right? When, when God tells you to pray, he tells you how. You know, we see uh, the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done. That kind of deal. He teaches us how to pray. And this is another time where he teaches you how to pray. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And this is how. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces for the sake of my brethren and companions. I will now say peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And so we see here that there's a blessing associated with this, right? He says pray for their peace. And yet when you do this, 
It says, may they prosper who love you. And so love Jerusalem, love Israel, because it's been commanded that you do that. You don't have to agree with the politics, but make sure that you're praying for the peace of the holy city. Make sure that you're praying for the peace of all who dwell within Jerusalem. Jews, Arabs, Armenians, Christians, anybody who's shown up, any of the pilgrims that come to see the holy city, pray for them, that all people would see the truth of the gospel and that they would see Jesus as Lord. And it says, pray for them. He says in verse 8, for the sake of my brethren and companions, right, I will now say peace be within you. Why? For his brother, for his neighbor. And it says, verse 9, because of the house of, Lord, our, because of, the, house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good, because we love God. And what were the greatest commandments? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and that, lo- that you love your neighbor as yourself. Don't you want peace for your city? Don't you want peace for Riverside? Can you imagine rockets flying into Riverside and having to live through that? If you would want that for yourself, then pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If you love God, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is part of the great commandments. So just keep that in mind as we're reading through this and as you read about the city of Jerusalem throughout Scripture. Just remember to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Going back to Isaiah chapter 60. Verse 18, violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Jerusalem finally gets its peace. You know, it's, uh, you always read like those, uh, well, maybe you watch movies. <laughs> not too many people read as, as they used to, but I like watching like those romantic comedies. I don't know why. I, I'm, not, I'm not really down with like scary movies. They give me nightmares, you know? And uh, I don't like watching movies that, like, you know, have sad endings. One time I was at the store, right, and I was just like, man, I'm kind of down. I need to go rent, like, a happy movie. So I see this, like, I see this movie on the shelf, and I'm like, it's a kid's movie, you know? I think, I'm going to rent that, watch it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Anyways, it's called to Bridge to Terabithia. It's got the most depressing ending I've ever seen. I was so upset. I wanted a refund. I was, uh, you cannot believe how angry I was at that. It, like, it ends, at, you know, like, the middle of My Girl, it's all sad and stuff? It ends that way. Yeah, that's just like, and he dies. And it's like, oh, well, thanks. That, that was a downer. <laughs> but God doesn't write those kinds of stories. He writes stories with happy endings. And so we see here that Jerusalem gets its long-awaited peace, but it's because the Gentiles come and bless them, because they stop warring. And it starts with praying in your heart for the peace of Jerusalem. All right, verse 19 starts a new vision. I know this is a new vision because this stuff is actually post-millennial kingdom. This is the new heaven and the new earth. And we know that because it says there's no more sun and there's no more moon. Verse 19, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give, you, give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your, God, and your God, your glory. So we're missing something here, right? What's going on? What we're missing is a great throne judgment at the end of, uh, at the end of um, Revelation chapter 21, where there's going to be a resurrection and people are going to get judged. Whoever's name is not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, these guys are getting judged. And so, you know, we're missing a whole lot of stuff going on here in, uh, in, um, in Isaiah chapter 60. Um, if you want to get a more complete picture, you might try um, reading Joel. Uh, what verses was it? Uh, 28 through 32. Um, this, is, this is an interesting thing. Uh, This is actually quoted uh, by Peter in the first sermon ever given. 
Um, and it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. This is you guys. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. We talked about darkness earlier. And the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that what, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Really awesome. Uh, you see that throughout scripture, um, but Isaiah's writing a happy ending story. He's kind of glossing over that. We read about darkness earlier, and right here we're kind of completely skipping the whole great white throne judgment, um, but we do get to that a bit later at the end of uh, Isaiah. Isaiah 66 uh, talks about the new heavens and the new earth, um, but for here, uh, he's got a point that he wants to make, and so this is what he says. The sun, verse 19, shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting night, and your God, your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. That's an interesting thing, right? We see the moon. It comes out sometimes. It's not even there all the time. It's a lazy moon. You know, sometimes it's like only half there. You know, the sun, like, you know, you're enjoying it for 12 hours, and it just goes away. I mean, that's kind of lame. The moon and the the sun is kind of lazy, you know? They don't really do a good job of, of what they do. I mean, sometimes it's like clouds block them out, and, you know, it's just kind of annoying because you were going to go to the beach, and now it's like raining. So what God is saying here is, look, he knows this stuff that he made. He made it in Genesis chapter 21. He's remaking it in Revelation chapter 22. All this stuff's passing away. Um, and this is why I love Isaiah because Isaiah is really a good bridge between the Old and New Testament. I mean, I think this should be like the last book in like, in the Old Testament, just because I love this so much. I mean, I think it's like the perfect transition. Um, But you see, what we see here is that God is saying, look, the moon and and the sun have been to you very stable all this time. You know, there's usually sun every day, you know. There's usually moon most of the time, except for new moons. You always see at least a sliver of it. Um, But these things go away. And what he's saying is that these things are just a shadow of the things to come. One of these days, when Jesus returns, I told you guys before that, the sun was made, but the light came before. And so we see then that there will be light, but it's not going to be coming from the sun, and it's not going to be coming from the moon, because God knows that that's not enough to sustain you. You need true light. We read about that throughout John's scriptures. He says, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The world doesn't understand the light. It doesn't want to see the light. And yet, in that final day, after the judgment comes, after all the believers, those who know that Jesus is the true source of light, that God's going to get rid of those things. Those things will pass away. They're going to melt away into eternity. And God's going to give us so much better. He's going to give us his presence. God himself will be seated on his throne in heaven and is using the foot, uh, using the earth as its footstool, and we will have everlasting light, it says in verse 20. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. There will be no more tears. God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. There will be no more disappointment. There won't be that day where you show up to a final and it was the wrong day. God's going to make everything perfect, everything all right again. In verse 21, it says, Also your people shall all be righteous. For all of you who struggle with sin, who have difficulty uh, dealing with with just life's 
tensions, its temptations, and its trials. For those of you who are the victims of other people's temptations and trials, who have to suffer because other people sin, there will be no more of that. All will be righteous in that day. And here's the promise that God gives. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands. And here's the purpose, the ultimate purpose of all of this, that I may be glorified. That's it, guys. That's what God's all about. He does all this work for his glory. And yet, look how blessed we are. All will be righteous. There will be no more tears. And we will worship the Lord for all eternity. I mean, we had, what, like 30, 40 minutes of worship today. And, you know, after a while, your throat gets kind of dry. And, you know, you can't talk anymore. And you're just kind of like gasping out and just we're trying to worship God. And it won't be like that. It will be like the most perfect, sweet worship. Because you're not going to try to elevate yourself to God through your worship. God will already be there forever. Finally, verse 22. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. It's an interesting thing. Um, turn real quick to uh, Genesis 18. 18. We'll wrap this thing up. It says here, verse 18, Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and again repeated in chapter 18, that God would bless all the nations of the world through Abraham, that he would be a mighty people. And yet I told you today that there are 600 million Arabs, and there are only something like 30 million Jews in the whole world. There's a billion Chinese. There's like nearly a billion Indians. All these ancient civilizations and God's chosen people, the ones that he's blessed, the ones that he's given his law, his Messiah too, they're so small. And yet, God made this promise, and we see here at the end of Isaiah chapter 60 that God is saying that one day it will happen that God will make, for, will make them into a strong nation, a mighty nation. The word for strong is the same word as we saw mighty in, uh, in Genesis 18.18. 18. Um, it's actually almost the same sentence structure. But the interesting thing is that the Lord says he will hasten it, but in its time. What does that mean? God will make it fast, but when the time comes, you know, if you have to wait for the time to come, then how is he hastening it? Because when it comes, and we don't know when that day will be, it'll come quickly. Jesus says that the thief in the night, it'll come. Um, and so you guys need to be prepared. You guys need to make sure that you understand that Jesus could come back at any time. And if you guys aren't doing the work that you're supposed to be doing, you're going to be ashamed when that day comes because you weren't, you weren't ready for Messiah to return. They say that two things confound a man. Two things. How slow God is to act and how quickly he shows up. Two things. How slow God is to act and how quickly he shows up. 
so many people are sitting there thinking, Jesus isn't coming back. I got all the time in the world. You know, they read, Reve- they read Revelation and they read the prophets and they're like, I don't think we're quite here yet. I think the world could get a little bit darker. You know, I, and if that's the case, then, you know, I can just do whatever I want. First of all, you don't know the time. You can't say it's not going to happen right now. You can't say it's not going to happen tomorrow. It'll come suddenly. There's going to be that last moment where God's just like, enough, and it's over. That's it. There's no turning back. That's the end. Um, and, you know, if you need to watch Left Behind one more time in order to get that message in your mind, then watch it and go rent it. But you want to make sure that you understand that God could, Jesus Christ can return at any time. And when it happens, you want to be prepared and how quickly God is to show up. You know, every time that you pray, thy will be done, you're basically praying that God would establish his kingdom. You say, on earth as it is in heaven. Do you really mean that? Thy kingdom come? Thy will be done? Do you understand the gravity of what you're saying? What if God took you up on that offer? He just comes right now. How many of you would be ashamed at the things that are in your life, the things that you haven't fixed the work that you should be doing, that you know you should be doing and you haven't done. Don't let it be that way. You know what you guys have to do, so take care of it. It's not a big problem. They say that there's two problems, two kinds of problems in this life, and neither one you should be worried about. Either it's a problem that you can fix, in which case get to work fixing it, or it's something that you can't fix, in which case there's no problem worrying about something you can't fix because you can't fix it. But if there's something that you can fix, if there's a work to be done, then do it. Live for that kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. You guys have been given a light. You've been trusted with a mystery of the gospel. And if you're not equipped now, get equipped. If you guys need discipleship, find somebody who's walking in in the Lord and partner up and get discipled. And if you see somebody who's struggling, then lift them up. Bring them to where you are. Offer, extend that arm of, of grace to somebody who admires you. You know, no matter where you are in your Christian walk, there's someone who admires you and someone whom you admire. So there's nobody in this world that can't, that can't say that, oh, well, you know, I'm so far in my Christian walk that, you know, or I'm so behind in my Christian walk that I can't help somebody. There's somebody who admires you. Even if it's like a four-year-old nephew or something like that, he's just like, I want to be like you when I grow up. Then you know what? Say, yeah, that's good. I follow Jesus. Do you want to follow Jesus too? And start them when they're young. And there's some people who basically have that attitude, and they're like 28. You know, bring them along. It's going to be a great adventure. Just trust that God's going to do an amazing work. Amen, guys? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you've just entrusted us with, with your gospel. And Lord, we know that you didn't do it in vain, um, that for some reason, Lord, even though you don't need us at all, that you've allowed us a limited participation in something so eternal, something so amazing. And we just give you all the glory and all the thanks, Lord. We're just like little children. We're following after their father, and he's mowing the lawn. And, and we come along with a little plastic bubble lawnmower and saying, look what we're doing. We're helping Daddy. And, uh, Lord, we just love to spend time with you and, and just bless whatever it is that we do. Uh, Lord, if, if there's sin in our lives, just clear it from our lives, Lord. Reveal it to us and give us a heart of repentance. And, Lord, if there's something that we should be doing that we're not doing, Lord, give us boldness and courage to do it. Uh, Let us not waste any moment on this earth as as your kingdom gets ushered in. And just continue to bless us, Lord, as as we continue reading through your word chapter by chapter every day, that we would have, Lord, that you would just give us something and someone to share it with. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Amen. Man, what a powerful word. <sighs> I just loved it. It was it, it just an extremely powerful word, you know, Steve. Uh, really helping to focus our eyes on the things of the kingdom, on the things of the future. I mean, I just love how Isaiah just paints it perfectly. He really takes us almost a snapshot, you know, of what's going to happen and what's to come. And as I was thinking that, I was just thinking how for some reason so recently I've just been reminded of death and how short life is and how just a small window of time that you have to really bless God. Does anybody know anyone who lives in Florida? Anyone? A couple people. Anyone know anyone who lives in England? There you go. Does anybody know anyone who lives in heaven? Ah, yes. There are many who are there that we know. And we will be in that place and we will be reigning with God forever. They are. And we will be there soon as well. We've got to get our lives in order as as was exhorted. We've got to get things focused and ready. We need to be ready to die, ready to pass on, ready for Christ's return. We've got to be. You've got to be busy about Father's business. We have such opportunity, family. You see how when you get so focused on you and your life that you forget about the kingdom? You see that? You get so focused on me and everything that's going on, you forget about all that's about to come. Steve, would you say the two things that... Uh, Yeah, how slow God is to act. Patience, you know, you're just like, you're waiting. Come on, God, do your thing. Do that thing. Come on, do that thing you do. Come on, come on, like, make it happen. God's like, no, I will move when I am ready and when is right. And then we are blown away how quickly he acts. When he comes, he comes just like that. And all of a sudden, you're just like, your eyes are opened up, huh? And you're just like, oh, God, forgive me. You know, I just, I miss it again. You pulled through, of course, you always do. How quickly God pulls through in such a powerful way. (sighs) And I just think about my life. Just going back to that 74-year-old man. 74 years, 8 months, and 20 days. Uh Uh-huh. Standing there giving some cookies to a man over there in the gas station. We got to be living for the kingdom. What else are you going to live for? A job? What happens when you become a CEO? Then what are you going to do? Having a family? What happens when you have one? What are you going to do after that? A big house? What happens when you get one? Then what? What happens when Jesus comes? We've got to change our minds. Amen? We've got to. We've got to start now. And so, purpose in your hearts. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to brainwash myself. Purposing in my heart right now all the things that I desire to see in my life. I just want to see at the end of my life a guy who lived for God. That's it. I want to die pleasing Jesus and being close to Him. I want to raise up a godly family. And purpose in my heart. I say it all the time to myself. I'm going to raise up a God. I'm going to pray with my kids every day. 
We teach them the Bible every single day, man. Bible study. That's right. We'll be talking about the Word. Purposing in my heart now. Taking ground for the kingdom every day. That's my mission. That's my goal. That's all I do. And so you can do whatever you want to do as long as the kingdom is first in your life. If the kingdom is first, go be a firefighter. Go for it. Be the best. Run a business. Make big money so that you can win many souls for the kingdom by spending it for the kingdom. You know? There's a lot of people who donate to Harvest Crusades. I heard a man that wrote $75,000 check not too long ago. Seventy-five grand. Isn't that awesome? All for the kingdom. What is he going to get out of that? It's all for the kingdom. That's what I'm talking about. Giving it all. And $75,000 to you may be the $5 in your pocket when that's all you have to give. And you don't eat lunch, but you give it away. For the kingdom. We've got to refocus ourselves. And so I just want to ask, family, as we go away tonight, that you would work hard on that. And just as we were exhorted tonight, we learned so much about the future and things that might happen that your light would shine before men, that people would see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen? Let me pray. Father, bless them and keep them. May your face shine upon them. Would you be gracious to them and give them peace? Change our minds, O God. Make us ever new. Help us to seek your kingdom every single day to recognize it's not about us. And Father, when we recognize that and we lay our lives down as servants for you, as we are slaves to your kingdom, that's when everything in life falls into place perfectly and great joy is inherited. Peace that surpasses understanding is given. Rest And so, Father, I would ask that for this group here. And God, we would pray for the peace of Jerusalem. For they shall prosper that love thee. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand in thy gates, O Jerusalem. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray that your spirit would come there and that, Lord, many Jews would come to know you even tonight. Father, as the sun goes down for us, it rises for them. And I pray that, God, there would be many who would be coming to know you in this day, bowing the knee to you because of these prayers. Oh, Father, hear us. Your peace will only come when your kingdom comes. And we would pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in our lives, in our earth, in the same way it is in heaven. Fill us with your spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Live for the kingdom. Okay? You're going to walk out those doors and you got to go to Walmart. Live for the kingdom. Going to walk out those doors and go home and your mom's going to nag at you. Live for the kingdom. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you got to go to work, baby. That's right. Boss is going to get on you. Live for the kingdom. Love them. You're going to go into Stater Brothers. 
You got to love on somebody. Pray for them. Do it for the kingdom, okay? Love you guys. We'll see you next week.